So we are continuing through our Peacemaker series. And this morning, we're talking about having the difficult conversation and how we speak to one another when there's times that an issue has to be dealt with. And so I thought I'd start with a video that, that maybe you've had a conversation that has looked something like this. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless and I don't know if it's gonna stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever gonna stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there. Stop trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing. You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. No, see, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, you're out. not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just... Sometimes it's like there's this achy... I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. Sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on. Ow. If you would just don't try to see things my way. Do I have to keep on talking till I can go on? Wait. All of them. <laughs> We're gonna talk today about how to have that kind of conversation when we are needed to gently engage someone who is making a bad choice or there's some issue in their life. So let's kind of remember where we've come. This is the, the peacemaker ministry uh, illustration that they have. And remember how we started that, that in a conflict situation, we oftentimes have a tendency of reacting in two different ways. One of them is attack responses, where we want to put the blame on them, we come at them with the criticism and even assault, that, that if there's a situation, we, we, we can go one way. Or there's a different way we might tend to respond. Others of us might respond more by denial. We don't really want to have that difficult conversation. We don't want to you know, have to face someone, so we'll just pretend it's all okay and ignore it and run away from the situation. Now, the last three weeks, we've been going through the different responses that are what's called peacemaking responses. Rather than going on the attack or running away, how can we respond it, respond to and, and work to resolve this conflict? And so the first thing we talked about how how we need to get to the higher ground of the gospel. In the midst of arguing and, and conflict, we can get in this, this horizontal blame focus. Blame, hurt, blame, hurt, you, pointing. And what we need to do is step back and get a God's eye view and remember the gospel, the good news that God had grace upon us that we did not deserve, and that changes everything. 
and remember that our main goal is to bring glory to God. The second thing we talked about last week is how, how we need to get real about ourselves. That Jesus taught that human beings are much better at seeing the sins, the wrongs of others than seeing wrong in ourselves. And before we go and try to fix other people, we need to take account of our own life and decisions. And maybe there's a part that we played in this conflict. And so we need to get the log out of our own eye first before we do this. So now we're at the third part, and that is gently engage or gently restore. And this, even the words, flow out of Galatians 6.1. This is a key verse in this, this idea. And that is, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves or you may also be tempted. So it's talking about the relationships that we have here in the the body of Christ, that we are brothers and sisters brought into this family and we should have these, these, see each other in that light and that we're meant to be in this this communion with one another as believers in Christ. But what happens when someone does wrong, if someone is, is caught in a sin. We know that that does damage to the reputation of Christ and of God. It has to be addressed. Um, now, when we say caught in a sin, even just using the word caught, we tend to immediately jump to the idea of a moral failure, a sexual sin. But, but think about this. When Isaiah was caught up into the holy presence of God, and he sensed his unholiness. What came to mind for Isaiah, the prophet? He says, I am a man of unclean lips. It's our words that so often show the unholiness in our hearts and lives. It's it's the damage we do with our words sometimes that we need to repent of and, and needs to be addressed so there's all kinds of things that this, this can speak of, but we also know that, that there's lying, there's gossip, there's boasting. And so think of this speaking not just of like the great moral failures, but also of the conflicts that rage within the, among God's people. And it says, you who live by the Spirit, if we know Jesus, he, his Spirit lives in us. And so it, it can lead us, it can help us in addressing these situations. And we could be like Jesus, learning to address them. And that's, that is what we're trying to do at East Glenville. Our, our vision statement, mission statement, we are learning to love God and love others as we follow Jesus together. You know how I know that? We keep putting it in our bulletin. So learning, yeah, it's our mission. That's what we want to do. And, and this is part of that. And so when someone does sin, do wrong, we have conflict going on, the goal is to gently restore and reconcile the relationships. And because of that, there are times when we will be called to point out sin in others. Now you might say, but wait, wait, wait. wait. Didn't Jesus say, do not judge? We did talk about that last week, right? So how does that work? Well, 
when to not judge does not mean that we don't ever correct sin in other people. In fact, if you remember how Jesus entered that section, we talked last week, he says, when you have removed the, the two by four from your own eye, then you will see clearly to help your brother or sister with the speck in their eye. So even within that section, Jesus leaves room for this idea of addressing sin in someone's life, addressing wrongdoing by others. But note, back in Galatians 6, it says, but watch yourselves. When you take on that role, we need to watch our own heart that we would not be tempted to become judgmental or come in self-righteousness. The key is, the way we avoid not judging is the heart attitude that we bring to the correction that we're offering. The way we approach someone is vital in how this happens. Ezekiel 3 is a tough passage. That's our main scripture. And it, it, it speaks to this, this idea. Ezekiel was called by God. He says, you are a watchman. Think about what a watchman is. Right? It's someone who's been charged to stand on the, the walls of the, the castle, the fortress, and keep watch for dangers that could do damage to the people, do damage to the community. And so God is saying, I am making you a watchman, and you're not, but you're not watching for swordsmen. You are on watch for the danger of sin and wrongdoing among God's people. And that, that sin has potential to do great damage. And so when you see it, you will be the one that sounds the alarm. And so in, in verse 16 and 19, it talks about the, um, you know, when a wicked person has sinned, you are to go to them and give warning um, and, and deal with that. This evil person, they'll turn from their evil and hopefully do what is right. Now, when we hear the word wicked, do we not immediately jump in our mind to the wicked witch of the West? And when we hear the word evil, don't we kind of think serial killer? And, and so the language is pretty strong here. I, I want to retranslate it for more everyday life and for things that... So, so hear this as almost a retranslation of this passage that's aimed at everyday life. So he, he kind of take this in. It's God speaking to us, saying, Son or daughter of God, I have made you an agent of reconciliation. And I will lead you to speak into people's lives my message. And when someone has done wrong, I will send you to point out their fault and to seek to turn them from doing wrong. If you don't go, they will keep doing wrong and they will face the damaging consequences for their behavior. And you will have played a part by failing to go to them. If you go, they might not listen, but you won't be at fault because you went to them. And it may be that you go and you have that difficult conversation that they just might listen and find forgiveness, and you will have the joy of gaining back your brother or sister. I think that might be what Ezekiel 3 is saying to us in our day and time. And Galatians 6.1, thinking about that, 
basically that's saying that all who have the Spirit of Christ in them are made watchmen for one another in this way. In Ezekiel 3.19, it talks about not, you know, the one who's engaging in sin. Sin is doing what God has told us not to do, and sin carries a cost. It always does. Maybe it's not right away. Maybe it's later on, but there's always damaging consequences when we fail to follow what God tells us to do. And so when we see that taking place, we're called to go and have that conversation. Now it says, their, their decision, you're, you're not responsible for their response. You are not responsible for how they, what they do with it. You're called to go and be faithful to that. Three, verse 20 may talk about, it may be, you know, it says someone who's righteous. Think of it, it may be a decent guy, right, who's, who's lived a decent life, but is on the verge of making a stupid and wrong choice that will end up destroying their life. And, and they'll be seen forever by, by the stupid thing they did rather than all the good stuff they did before. And, and you may be the one that, that if you go to them, they listen They'll be thankful you had the guts to come talk to them. So imagine a guy at the office, and you see him flirting with a young woman who's not his wife, right? And they they talk and laugh together, and you notice, you start to notice that the little putting his hand on his shoulder a lot, and the little signs of flirtation, and you hear them talking about going out to get drinks, after work, and you're like, what do you do? Do you go to him and say, buddy, be careful. This is dangerous stuff you're messing with, right? Because drinks can lead to adultery. Adultery could lead to divorce. Divorce could lead to to consequences all throughout his family and his life. He could ruin his life for that one choice and for that one person who has the guts to go up and say, you need to think about what you're doing. To have that difficult conversation. Correcting others can be an act of love. Dietrich Bonhoeffer made a, a, a statement in his book, Life Together. He says, Nothing is so cruel as the tenderness that consigns another to his sin. Nothing can be more compassionate than the severe rebuke that calls a brother back from the path of sin. There are times when God will lead us, will lead us by his spirit, pushing us from the inside, lead us into correcting others and pointing out sin in their life. Correcting others is an act of love, but it must be done in love. The Peacemakers has a little chart, and it's on your yellow handout, and I just want to comment. It's talking about what are the things that's at the bottom where all the scripture references are. And it's what does it look like to gently engage, gently restore? The third G, what is it? Well, the third G is not just confronting someone. It's not just going up and, and letting them have it. Instead, it is going with a heart of love for that other person. It's the attitude and heart that we go that's key to this. The third G is not going in a spirit of anger or vengeance. You're not just 
trying to get back at them. Instead, it's going with a goal of a restored relationship. The third G is not going in a spirit of, um, I did that one already, going to score points in a self-righteous spirit. Right? You're not just going to win the argument. You're going to lead them from the cliff edge of sin, and you go gently. You give thought to the manner by which you approach them so that you're more likely to, 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 to be successful than to just spur them to, in obstinate, go the other way. That is what this is, is talking about. And it's about the courage to talk to them one-on-one. We started back at the beginning, we looked at Matthew 18, where Jesus says, if there's a conflict, if your brother or sister sins against you, to go and point out their fault just between the two of you, right? So when, when there's something like this, the need is to go one-on-one, not just telling others, especially if there's this, this conflict where they did something to you, um, you don't go focused on telling others or gossiping. Have you ever had it where, like, someone's mad at you and everyone else knows it but not you because they've told everyone around you how how they're angry at what you did, but they, you know, that's not the way it's to be. We are to go to that person. So, you know, if you come up to me and say, Pastor Mitch, Ken Sloan is clubbing baby seals, because, you know, I, I, I know it. And, and for the fun of it, just for the fun of it. And I'd say, wow, that's, that's pretty bad. You know, have you spoken to Ken about that, that clubbing of baby seals? He says, well, well, well no, I haven't. I, I want you to go talk to him. Well, you know, you know that's what I'm going to ask you. It's like, you got to go talk to him and find out if it's true. And say, Ken, what, what's up with clubbing the baby seals, right? What, what's going on there? You want to... Um, so I, I remember when I got this training, the first time I went through this, and I remember the, the guy leading it, John Kimball, a great pastor, from the Four Seas guy, and, and he, he used this illustration about him. He says there's a, a, an older woman named Thelma who would come to him, and she says, Pastor John, a lot of people are talking about this, and they're upset, and they're saying this and this and this about this issue. And John's like, Wow. Um, so, so, so who's saying it? Well, I I don't want to say. Well, then you realize you're passing along gossip, don't you? If you're just doing this. And, and John says, I, I can't seek to fix it. If I've done wrong to someone, I want to know so I can fix it and set things right. And if I don't know who, then I can't. And so you got to tell me who. And, and then Thelma says, well, it, it was... Louise said, said something and came up with one name. He said, okay, come, come, come with me. Let's go talk to Louise right now. And so John took Louise, Thelma, and they went to talk to Louise. And Louise, of course, was mortified that it, it came back to him. And, but, but the point being is, is it's like we, don't, we shouldn't be playing these games, right? If we're offended by someone, if we've been hurt, if they said something and we're angry about it, then we need to go talk to them and not to other people. Um, go to them privately. Seek to settle things. Seek to win them back to righteousness. That's, that's God's. If, if you are upset someone, and, and you need to decide, is this truly a big deal? 
is this something I can overlook? They didn't mean to do it. I, I can just let this go. It's not a big deal. This won't get in the way of my relationship with them. Then, then let it go and don't tell anyone about it. But if it is truly a big deal, if this is going to block your relationship, then you've got to go to them and not just tell everyone else, not just post it on Facebook. I, I'm wary of anonymous surveys. Sometimes it's helpful to try to get people's opinions on things, but I've also seen them used to basically do this, that you say, well, I'm angry about this, this, and this, and then you can't do anything with them because you don't know who wrote it, so you can't set things right, right? Um, so either you overlook it or you talk to them personally. Um, but here's, here's the great thing, is, is God has made it easy for us in our day. If you're really upset with someone, all you really have to do is you pull out your phone and you start texting them and say, you are a jerk. Like, is that, that they're, maybe not, right? So that's our temptation that we want to try to do it from a distance, email or text. I had a, a friend, Deborah, who, who uh, she was in a lawyer law office, and she said one of the lawyers would never confront directly, but one time she got an eight-page memo on why you shouldn't leave the, cof- the copier lid up. Like, like, that's an attack, right? But she wouldn't actually talk to her about it. So um, it, it involves, it may be the best is face-to-face, Sometimes that's, that's just not doable and you have to do it by phone, but at least you're talking to that person one-on-one, not just going, not just doing it from a distance where you're lobbing grenades into the situation with text or email or messaging. So, some steps before we go, and I must apologize. I know as a pastor I'm required to put everything in alliteration with starting with the same letter. It just didn't work. So um, there's some alliteration, but not enough. Um, but So when you go, when you're called to have that difficult conversation, before going, pray and prepare, right? Pray, pray maybe even seek, you know, seek study scripture. It, it is okay to share with others to seek counsel, godly counsel. Um, pray for them. Pray for a heart for them. If you're excited about confronting them, you're not ready, right? You got to pray for compassion that you can actually resolve this. I, I have a conundrum though because I, I hate this kind of stuff and may, maybe some of you can relate. Like I don't want to go. So I got to be angry enough that I'm spurred to go but not so angry I'm going in anger. Um, I kind of have to have that, that middle ground. And, but pray and plan your remarks, right? Think about how you're going to approach this, maybe what they will, what they might say or feel. And, when I do do that, though, I tend to be completely wrong. Um, but I at least try to prepare and, and be ready to know what I would say if they, they say something back. Then when you go, the first thing, affirm relationships. This is important. You need to, 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 to make sure you're, they're not feeling like it's coming on as an attack, right? To start off, you are my brother in Christ. I value you. You're... I, I, I love how we get to do this together or, or I'm so thankful for this part you play, but I do want to talk to you about this issue. Affirm the relationships. Take away the sense of being attacked. I clearly remember um, someone wisely approaching me in this way, 
And in fact, it was when I was serving at the Young Life Camp up at Saranac Lake. And I was a young guy, new in ministry, just started, and I was so insecure about all my work. And I could have easily went and been defensive. My main job was the dishwashing crew. I was in charge of the high school kids washing dishes for the week. Um, But I had a side job of opening up the slide when there was a group that's supposed to use it because they kept it locked. But I kept forgetting my second job. I was so focused on the first one. And I remember Jim coming up to me, and, you know, we just had this conversation. And he made me, he just told me I appreciate how much the role I have on the team and what I'm doing and how well I'm doing with this part of it. And he says, but we got to talk about, um, you know, the, the fact that you're, you're forgetting to go unlock the, the slide. And he did it in a way that did not make me feel threatened, but affirmed, and I was ready to hear what needed to happen. Firm relationship. Secondly, address the specific issue. Don't come with a laundry list of things they need to fix. Think about the specific issue that, that's going on, and maybe address like the hurt that it's causing and how it has an impact. But don't just come up with all the things you're, you're miffed at. I, I did have someone want to talk to me, and we, we met at, um, at Tim Hortons, which is kind of like a Dunkin's Donuts. And I remember sitting there, and, and we were about the only ones in the store, and he pulled out a list. And he had a list of things that he felt were wrong and he was miffed about. And not only, he, he went to others to add to the list. It wasn't just his list. So he brought to me anything anyone was miffed about, and half of them were things not under my control. And so keep it simple. State the problem and why it is a problem. Secondly, actively listen. Give them a chance to respond and make sure you understand what what they're saying and what's going on. Oftentimes, there's more to the story. Don't we know that there's something going on? You know, so, that's sort of the joke of that video, right? It, it's not about the nail. Some, sometimes there's something, the reason they're doing what they're doing is something else is going on that needs to be dealt with. Um, I, I remember a struggling friend who, when we talked, she, she struggled with seasonal depression, right? The, the changing of the light affected her in a certain way. And so we had had to talk about that. And so it's good to come with questions. Simply, the simplest question, what, what was going on there when you did that or said that? You know, or help me understand how you're feeling about this. Um, there are times we need to get aid from others. Matthew 18 it, you know, says, if they don't listen, then, then get two or three others to go with you. Reconciliation is that important that we're called to help each other with that. Now, this is not about getting people on your side, you know, to go win the argument in that sense. That you need to get people who are mutual friends, people that they're willing to listen to that might help them hear it if they can't hear it from you. Getting aid from others. The, the next is aim towards restoration. Seek to bring hope. The goal is forgiveness and reconciliation. Um, they may feel trapped or, or powerless to actually fix the thing that you're, you want to see fixed. 
they, they feel like there's nothing else they can do. And it may be you need to work with them and talk about possible solutions, creative solutions. It may be just pray for them and pray with them that, that this can be, can be better. Um, and then also realize that there may be issues that need to be negotiated. So there's two parts of this. It's, there's reconciling the relationship, and then there's the resolving the issue. And, and you want both of those. You don't want to just resolve the issue and get what you need done, but have the relationship be broken. But if the issue is not resolved, then, then there won't be reconciliation. And so there may be things to, that need to be negotiated within, within that and working on that. So those are the, I, I think, some of the principles of having the difficult conversation. I now want to flip the coin because there's another side. The other side of the coin is what if we're the one that needs to be approached? And what does it look like to, to acknowledge our our part, our, our wrongdoing. For note, for those especially who are doing the workbooks, I'm actually combining two chapters in this message, chapter five and six. So for, for, for that reason, there's actually two lists in this, and I hope this is not too overwhelming, but I think this part is, is key, and it's talking about how to make an effective apology. Because the truth is, a bad apology can make things worse. So here are some bad apologies. There could be the angry sibling forced apology. I'm sorry, okay? Right? Obviously, your, your tone is conveying the uh, opposite of your actual words. You know, that could be worse than no apology. I'm sure every parent has had that, had, had to work through that. Or there's the inconsiderate coworker apology. I'm sorry, I didn't realize you were so sensitive. Right? So it's not what you said. It's actually them. You're actually putting the, the blame for it onto them in a, a snarky way. Or there's the weaselly politician fake apology. I regret if my actions were misinterpreted. All right? So I didn't do anything wrong, of course, but they just misinterpreted. So the, those tend to make things worse rather than better. What does a, a, an effective apology look like? So there's seven A's. This one is alliterative. Um, the first A is address everyone involved. The confession should go as far as the offense. If it's just words between two people, there's no need to tell others, right? Keep it between just you and your brother, and no one ever need know, right? You don't need to damage their reputation if they're, if they're quick to own up to it. Um, but if what you've done hurt, hurt others or hurts, damages the reputation of God, then it might need a broader apology. So at a previous church, we had a teenager in between services grab a bunch of the offering and took it home. And so it talked to us. We figured out who it was, talked to his father, had that really difficult conversation. He finally owned up to it. And so he um, actually, the next Sunday at church, confessed and apologized, and was forgiven. Ended up being a beautiful thing. He, he, over that summer, he worked and paid back double what he had taken. And it was, it, was, it was good. So the apology needs to go as far as the offense. 
Second A is avoid ifs and buts, right? I'm sorry if I offended you in some way really implies you, you didn't think you did anything wrong. It's their, you know, to offend them, it's their fault for being so sensitive. If. Um, or buts. I'm sorry, but, but you provoked me by what you did. Again, you're saying, I'm not really sorry. Um, it's, it's your fault. You provoked it. There may be times when you, you're not actually sure what the offense is. And it could be as simple as asking, did I offend you in some way? Or help me understand how what I did hurt you. So sometimes you need to get clarification before you can or are able to, to uh, offer an effective apology. But avoid ifs and buts. Third, admit specifically. It, it, it's not always all that helpful to say, oh, I'm just, I just did all everything wrong. Or they, they use the example in the Peacemaker video of a husband who says, yeah, I, I've just been a, a bad husband. That did not actually resolve things with his wife. It's only when he was willing to admit that, you know, the specifics. I prioritize my work and my, my recreation over our marriage and family. That's when she heard that he understood and knew what was wrong. We need to admit specifically so that they understand we, we acknowledge the specifics we did. Um, and along with that, acknowledge the hurt. For, to, to acknowledge that, that you caused pain by what you did in some way. Sometimes we need to ask, do we regret hurting people or do we just regret getting caught? Sometimes a fake apology is saying, I don't regret what I did, I just regret that I got caught for it. I'm sorry, you know, I, I, I want you to forget this but you're not really sorry. Um, Fifth, accept the consequences. Right? We can't say I'm sorry and then just demand forgiveness right away. We need to ask, how can I set this right? It could be just not doing that again or it could be action we need to take to, to, to undo the damage. And then six, alter your behavior. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 7, 10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. I'm sorry by itself is useless. It has to be accompanied by a desire to repent, to make a change so that, that we're not doing this again. If, if, it's, if you say I'm sorry and do the same exact thing the next day, it, it, it's not fixing anything. It's not a, it, not, it does not lead to salvation. Now, it may be you can't promise to never do it again. We, our hearts are broken. And just promising, well, I will never do that again, we, we can't do that. But we can promise by God's grace to work on it. We can take concrete steps to uh, change our behavior. And we need to be willing to do that, to accept the consequences and alter our behavior. And lastly, ask for forgiveness. Now, that may seem like, well, aren't, isn't this whole thing about that? When you're asking for forgiveness, you're asking for the relationship to be restored. I need your forgiveness. I don't want this to be a barrier between us. I'm sorry that what I did was so hurtful. Would you forgive me? Now, we can't assume it, 
and we can't demand it, but we can ask for it. And we might need to allow time for that other person to process the hurt. God is able to forgive instantly, but we're not God. And so sometimes it does take a little bit of time for that to work its way through. So those are the seven A's. Um, when we make an apology, it's important we don't use that to, to, as a time to win the argument, to, to point out sin in others. It may be if there's issues on both sides, we may need to make our apology and then come back to those issues at another time. But it's not very helpful to make that apology and then instantly start to work on them. The good news is, is that when we are honest and we make it a sincere apology, it often is what we call the golden response. That people tend to treat you as you treat them. And they may then be spurred to say, you know what, you're not the only one at fault. I also could have handled this better. And ideally, that's the response that leads to restoration. So having the difficult conversation. Neither side of these coins is easy. I know if you're like me, you'd rather not have these conversations at all. Right? You just want everything just to work. Um, know that when we try, it sometimes comes out messy. This is not easy stuff. There, there, there's hurt feelings. Sometimes it doesn't work as we hope. Sometimes it takes longer than we fear. Um, know that... I. I kind of tried to present this as, you know, this formulaic step. It, it is messier almost always in real life. But we have an advantage. We have an incredible advantage as followers of Jesus. We have seen grace in action. Grace took human form and walked in our midst. And when we, we read about the life of Christ and study how he treated people, and, and we have an even better one right? He walks with us. His spirit lives inside of us. We have the, the very person of grace living within our spirit. And because of that, we're able to navigate these conversations. We're able to seek reconciliation and peace in our relationships. We're able to, to go to someone. And we who live by the spirit, we can seek to restore people gently because Jesus lives in us and is with us. He calls us together, and he calls us into these relationships. So let's ask him to, 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 to help us in all of our, our relationships with one another in the body of Christ and, and elsewhere. Let's allow him to work through us. Let me pray. Jesus, I thank you that, that when, it, when things get messy, you don't run away, but that you're with us and in us. Help us to learn to love others the way you love them. Help us when we're led to have that difficult conversation to do it well and that your grace might flow through us into those relationships. Jesus, we need you. We're not good at this. We need your power and we need your love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.